stories. Be motivated. Be inspired. Join us today. Voice America Influencers. Welcome to The Art of Significance with your host, Hall of Fame speaker, New York Times bestselling author, university professor, gold record songwriter, and award-winning athlete, Dan Clark. Get ready for engaging discussions with some of the most influential people in the world who will impart their wisdom, stories, and inspiration on why and how to achieve the level beyond success. Now here's your host, Dan Clark. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I appreciate you tuning in each week, and please get the word out. This is the Influencers Channel, and it's called the Influencers Channel for a very, very specific reason. The goal that I have in mind every single time I invite my incredible human beings, my incredible influencers onto my show, my goal and primary purpose is to ask them provocative questions and allow them to teach us what they know, what they've learned through their experiences, so that when we tune out after this two hours together, we are committed to doing something different, to thinking different, to making a difference and healing our country. Today's show is extraordinary. I am so bold to say I believe every one of my shows has been extraordinary. And at this moment, I think I've only been on the air now 12 weeks. And obviously, it's available on demand as a podcast. It's rebroadcast 10 to 13 times again during the week on a different time slot rotation. But I'm just encouraging everyone within the sound of my voice to start spreading the word and inviting their family members and their friends and their coworkers and their colleagues and their teammates to tune in. Because remember, we don't need to get some nugget of wisdom from every guest. We don't need a nugget of wisdom, a quotable quip from every single line or every single paragraph or every moment during an interview. What we need is just one thing to cling on to, one, one truism, or as I boldly would say, one of my Clarkisms that are quotable, that you can hang your hat on, that you can put in your pipe and smoke, if you will, that will last longer than this two-hour show and that you can reconnect with as you order on demand and, and bring these podcasts into your inner circle of friends. You know I love quotes. I want to start this show by linking together just two or three or four of my most famous quotes that I've written over the years. I say famous in humility, not in my mind, but they seem to be the most quoted quotes. And I see them on the internet with my my name attached to them quite often, which makes me proud that at least I'm trying my best. I'm doing my best to make a difference. Quote number one, hmm. Wealth flows through you, not to you, which means you can get anything in this life that you want if you're willing to help enough other people get what they want. If it's a truth, which I believe it is, then the time test is, does it apply to all aspects of our lives, our personal relationships, obviously our working relationships because it's about finances, but does that truism relate to the world of the military service, the world of sports competition? Does it really relate across the board? And if it does, then it truly is a fundamental foundational truth by which we can live. How about another quote? Under pressure, 
You don't step up your game. You succumb to the level of your preparation, training, and practice, which means pressure is not something that is naturally there. It's created when you question your own ability. And when you know what you've been trained to do, there's never any question. There's never any pressure. That's why we train and practice so hard, which means exhaustion is acceptable, falling is acceptable, crawling is acceptable, obviously failing is acceptable, puking is acceptable, blood, sweat, and tears are acceptable, disappointment, discouragement, sadness, they're all acceptable, but whining, blaming, complaining, and quitting are not. You cannot quit. It's a league rule. So consolidating those linked together Clarkisms Let me just finalize this preamble to the show with one other group of quotes that puts a sense of urgency into our lives. Today, you've never been this old before. And today, you'll never be this young again. So right now and every right now matters, which means no matter what your past has been, you have a spotless future, which means you can't always control what happens, but you can always control what happens next. Are you with me? Are you following me? To set the tone for all three of my guests, a female fighter pilot, one of my dearest friends on the planet, one of my heroes, Heather Penny, call sign Lucky is my first guest coming up after the break. You don't want to miss her story of heroics, her story of patriotism, her unbelievable understanding of service before self. My second guest is a dear friend, an old football player, an old football colleague, of mine, Scott Mitchell, who was drafted into the NFL out of college by the Miami Dolphins. You'll hear his amazing story, but he ended up allowing himself to succumb to the temptations of the world. In other words, he became a slave to appetite, losing his focus for a moment in time and uh, became uh, obese and uh, and out of shape, and found himself on the television show Biggest Loser, and ended up the season as the runner-up with a transformational story that you don't want to miss. And then my final guest today is another dear friend of mine, Randy Garn, who is the consummate entrepreneur. His Rolodex of who he knows and the influence he's had in this world is unbelievable and unmatched. Talk about a walking directory to the most successful and extraordinary human beings on the planet. And Randy is going to help us tie a bow around our show together by explaining how he's been able to create these amazing businesses and create multi-multi-millionaires Because of his understanding of the quotes that I started the show with, predominantly service before self, you can get anything in this life that you want if you're willing to help enough other people get what they want. To prove that these quotes are true, meaning that they go across the board, military, family, personal relationships, on the job, and especially in sports, let me share one of my favorite all-time stories about one individual who when was given the opportunity, stepped it up, dug deeper than he had ever been able to dig before and rose to the occasion, not because it was expected by others, although it was, but mostly because it was demanded of himself. 
1988 World Series matched the Oakland Athletics against the Los Angeles Dodgers, with the Dodgers upsetting the heavily favored A's to win the series in five games. Some of you are old enough to remember this. I still remember sitting in my television set watching this amazing experience unfold. It is best known This World Series, 1988 World Series, is best known for the pinch hit walk-off home run hit by Dodgers' Kirk Gibson, who could barely walk due to injuries suffered during the NLCS, the National League Conference Series, against Hall of Fame, uh, due to injuries, uh, uh, sorry, against Hall of Fame Athletics closer Dennis Eckersley. Are you with me? It was game one of the World Series at Dodger Stadium. Dodgers superstar slugger Kirk Gibson had two swollen knees and a nagging hamstring injury. He wasn't even introduced before the game. He was too hurt to play. So he stayed in the locker room receiving therapy and watched the entire game on television. Suddenly he received a call in the bottom of the ninth inning to come up to the field and pinch hit. When he got up to bat... The Dodgers were behind 4-3, to three, and Mike Davis had just been walked. Visualize it. Mike Davis, the speedster, he's on first base. With Davis on first base and two outs, Kirk Gibson limped to the plate. Dodger fans stood and went crazy for their hero. If anybody could save the day, it would be Kirk Gibson. As Hall of Fame pitcher Eckersley had allowed only five home runs all year, Gibson hit the first two pitches foul. Then he took a ball. Then he fouled off two more pitches and took two more balls. Think about it. If you're keeping track, this meant it was full count, three balls and two strikes. And with little help from his weak legs, Kirk turned on the next fastball And using only his arms, he miraculously hit the game-winning home run deep over the right field fence. I still have it on video. I have it in my collection. I watch it whenever I need somebody to say, no matter what your past has been, you have a spotless future. You cannot control what happens, but you can always control what happens next. Under pressure, you don't succumb to the pressure. You don't succumb. What you do is you rise to the occasion. With the crowd cheering and screaming and stomping even louder, Kirk threw his arm in the air as the ball sailed over the home run fence. Kirk threw his arm in the air, hobbled to first base, and as he rounded second base, he gave that famous double fist pump and was mobbed by his coach, Tommy Lasorda, and his teammates when he touched home base. Game over. Oakland could never recover from this unbelievable and shocking loss, and the Dodgers went on to win this World Series, as I said, in five games. In my experience, I've had an opportunity to be on the program many, many times with the recipients of the Congressional Medal of Honor, the United States' highest honor for those who are gallant in, in a battle, gallant in a wartime situation. My dad's first cousin, Mervyn S. Benyon, 
He received the Medal of Honor. He was the commander of the USS West Virginia, the commanding officer of the USS West Virginia, and died on deck of his ship at Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941. I pay attention to the stories of these Medal of Honor recipients. I pay attention to the true definitions of what a hero really is. And with all due respect to every single one of these men and women whom I've had an opportunity to meet and sit at their feet and listen and be inspired by their stories, every single one of them in humility will always admit they were ordinary people and put in a situation where they had to make a choice and that situation is what allowed them to reveal themselves to themselves. Adversity introduces us to ourselves. No one will ever know how good we can become. No one will ever know how strong we really are until being strong is our only choice, until we are tested. After the break, my first guest is a true hero, a dear, dear friend, an amazing human being who proves true that you don't wake up in the morning and decide to be a hero because of your previous training, because of your passion, creativity, and imagination, because of the way you've been raised, because of the expectation of the people you have associated with. Somehow in an adverse situation, you don't even think about it. You just rise to the occasion. Leadership becomes automatic because somewhere in your past, subliminally, subconsciously, or consciously, you decided that service before self is truly the mindset of a champion across the, the, the board in business, in sports, and especially in the military. Let's go to my first, first commercial break, and right after the break, my first guest, again, the amazing Heather Penny, call sign lucky female F-16 fighter pilot, hero, extraordinary human being. I love this woman. I'll be back in a moment. stories be motivated be inspired join us today voice america influencers i just got out of a meeting where the unbelievable dan clark was the keynote speaker he is clearly the most interesting man in the world he's been into space he reminded us to think bigger He's a primary contributor to those chicken soup books, and he inspired all of us to make our lives matter. He taught us how to deal with change like he had to when he had to recover from a paralyzing football injury. Everybody needs to hear his message on leadership and safety and how he turns last place NFL teams into Super Bowl champions. Call this number, 1-800-676-1121, and visit danclark.com. Life is complicated and sometimes we all need a little help, but don't have the time for a full hour-long session or don't know who to turn to. That's where BetterHelp comes into play. With BetterHelp, I can get matched with one of over 2,500 licensed and approved counselors and therapists and get help anytime, anywhere, totally private. For a flat weekly fee starting at $35, I can connect with my counselor via text, chat, video conference, or phone, which is great for me because I'm always on the go. And I can go back to previous sessions whenever I want through my secure account from anywhere in the world. It's a great feeling to know that help is there, affordable, private, and convenient to my schedule. We all can use a little help. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash VA health and register for free. You can try it for seven days without being charged on your credit card and get matched with a licensed counselor usually within 24 hours. Get better help today at betterhelp.com forward slash VA health. 
The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America Business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You're listening to The Art of Significance featuring your host, Dan Clark. If you want to join in on this week's discussion, give us a call at 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop down a line via email to danclark at xmission.com. Now back to the Art of Significance. Here again is Dan Clark. Welcome back to the show. My first guest is Heather Penny. In the Air Force culture, we all have call signs. Mine happens to be hot lips, no questions asked. Heather Penny's call sign is obviously lucky, and I think you'll understand why. She epitomizes the definition of luck where opportunity comes face-to-face with preparation, which allows her to make leadership automatic no matter what she's doing as a mother, amazing mom, as 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 a fighter pilot, as an extraordinary human being who works for Lockheed Martin. I have about 19 pages of a bio that I've that I've researched, but may I consolidate it to a little teeny bit longer bio because I want all of you listeners to understand who this next guest is and why I've decided to have her on longer than most guests. Heather Lucky Penny was part of the first wave of women. Think about this. I've been on the program now twice as a keynoter with Sheryl Sandberg who obviously is an exec with Facebook, who has the, the movement and the book Lean In. She pales, uh, Heather does not pale in comparison to the movement and the influence that Sheryl Sandberg is having on women across our, our nation. And uh, Heather is committed to women's issues, to being that role model for young girls, and especially, obviously, we males who who idolize everything that she represents. Penny was part of the first wave of women who went directly into fighters from pilot training. Think about that, pioneer. She grew up around aviation and warbirds. I love hearing stories about how close she is with her dad and, you know, one of the great Probably my best song I've ever written, used to get a lot of radio play, was called Special Man. I wrote it about my sweet dad. The the lyrical hook, any male can be a father, but it takes a special man to be a dad. Uh, That's Heather's relationship with her amazing dad. She grew up around aviation and warbirds and applied to the Air National Guard to fly F-16s as soon as she learned that Congress had opened combat aviation to women. The first and only woman in the 121st Fighter Squadron, Heather deployed to Operation Iraqi Freedom for initial combat operations as a nighttime scud hunter in the western deserts of Iraq, also supporting Special Operations Forces. She flew the F-16 for 10 years before having to make the difficult decision to leave the fighter aviation as a single mother. 
She continued to serve flying the G100 Astra jet for another six years in the VIP special airlift mission. She works now for Lockheed Martin, as I said, as the director of Air Force Aviation Training Systems, specializing in capture management, government relations, and strategic business development. That's where we met at an Air Force function at the Air Force Ball. There, her portfolio has included the F-22, the F-16, and our newest secret weapon, the F-35 training. She is currently focused on the Air Force's advanced pilot training competition. Heather recently became the national chair for the commemorative Air Force's Rise Above WASP program. I love this. In this role, she will help bring the story of the women Air Force service pilots to children across America so that they too can rise above daring to become what they dream. Lastly, Heather's passion for aviation has never faded. She has raced jets at the Reno Air Races. She has over 3,000 hours with commercial uh, and ATP ratings and all that stuff that no one really understands. And she volunteers with the Callings Foundation, co-piloting their B-17 when her busy schedule allows her to get away. That's one of my dreams I'm sucking up right now, Heather, because my father-in-law was shot down in a B-17 in his first mission in World War II, and that's the only bomber I have yet to fly, so I'm going to you know, kind of buy you a new truck before the day's over. I know that you love to continually fly, and she enjoys flying her PT-17 Stearman and 1950 Cessna 170A with her family and her rescue dog, Gilmore, obviously named after Roscoe's Lion. And when she isn't in the air, you can usually find her with her family camping and hiking in a national park. I went on and on and on and on and on and on and on, but now let's hear from Heather. How the heck are you? Thanks for joining me on my show. Oh, Dan, my dear friend, it is so good to talk with you again. How are you? I'm so well. And, you know, we have people come and go in our lives, and sometimes we never see them again, and sometimes we have instant karma, and we connect at that chemistry level based on, you know, mutual respect and support. And from the moment we met and General Mark Welsh introduced us, uh, we became dear friends, and I just appreciate everything you represent to all of us in this life. And, And thanks again for being on the show. Oh, it is my pl- my pleasure and my privilege, certainly. So talk to us. Let's go way back. Who was your inspiration? Who, who instilled in you the belief that you could do anything, regardless if you live in a man's world, especially a fighter jet man's world as a woman, and you said, I can break through that glass ceiling. I can break that barrier. You just watch me. You say, I can't watch me. I, I'll prove you wrong. Who, who was your inspiration? And kind of take us on the story of how you ended up in pilot training and how you ended up choosing to be a fighter pilot. Well, you know, um, I think for for so many people, it's our parents, right? It begins with our parents because they're the ones that that nurture us, that love us, that support us, that that help us become who we are meant to be. And so as a little girl, I had always just absolutely loved airplanes and fighters. My daddy was a fighter pilot. but, you know, when it comes to, to, to breaking those barriers and, and dreaming big, it really was my mom, you know. Because uh, my father, had, he was he's a fighter pilot. He was in a fighter squadron. And, and, and let's just say that that's a kind of a macho world. But my mother, you know, she always told me that I could be anything I wanted to be. 
And so I grew up with this dream. And ever since, you know, there's a story in my family that when I was four years old, I declared I was going to be a fighter pilot. Well, clearly at the time, I mean, girls couldn't be fighter pilots. They weren't even allowed to be pilots, you know, really in the, in the, in the Air Force. Um, but no one told me no. And, uh, and, and so I just continued on with this belief that was going to be my direction in life and that was my calling. And uh, you know what? It wasn't until I actually got to college that I, I discovered that girls could not be fighter pilots. Uh, wow. But I, I nurtured that dream in my heart. And so as soon as, as soon as I learned that Congress had opened that path, that opportunity for us to be able to serve, um, I, I raised my hand. So what was your commissioning source? Where did you uh, where did you graduate from college and then how did you find yourself who influenced you to join the guard? Well, I joined the Air National Guard uh because after uh, flying A7s in Vietnam, uh, my father ended up by getting out of the active duty, and he flew RF4s in the Reno Guard. So when I was, um, you know, in middle school, some really formative ages for uh, for young girls, I spent those those years of my life shadowing my dad, going to the fighter squadron, uh, going to the Reno Air Races, and I knew that, you know, if I applied and if I was accepted and if I was good enough that I'd be able to fly whatever aircraft that unit had. And, uh, and so I was, I was so committed to being a fighter pilot that I didn't, you know, it's kind of selfish. I didn't want to leave, want to leave my, my future up to the needs of, of, the, of the Air Force. I really wanted to be able to dictate and shape the direction that I was going in, and that's why I went with the Guard. Wow. So let's transition into putting you on the on the spot one lesson that you learned flying combat missions in Iraq how old were you and how did you find the climate in a fighter squadron in a combat situation um, just kind of give us the insight feeling the emotional sense of you in that environment and what it was like to take off knowing that you were going into harm's way so, you know, my, my experience over uh, in Iraq in, in 2003 when we were kicking down the door was, was very interesting because um, it, was full, it was full of contradictions. Um, so I was the only, I was the only woman uh, flying in our, in our combat wing. Now, there, there was uh, two other female fighter Fighter pilots that uh, that had deployed as well. Um, they were in. Actually, I'm sorry. Only one other female fighter pilot uh, that deployed with me. Um, she was in a non-flying uh, non-flying billet. But it was very interesting because, um, and, and I'm just going to talk a little bit about my personal experience um, being the first, you know, and, and the only female flyer. Uh, the unit that I was with at the time, the uh, the Buckley Air National Guard. Colorado guys were absolutely fantastic, very professional, focused on the mission, um, totally inclusive, really great team builders. And I, I just, to this day, am close to all of, the, all of my bros from, uh, from uh, the Buckley unit. And it really showed me how important um, mutual respect, support uh, is towards a high-performance team. But there was another unit that we were deployed with um, that also uh, taught me some really important lessons about leadership because uh, that unit 
very much did not believe that women had a place flying fighters. And so, for example, uh, the week that we got there, we were in processing. We were we were building the base up from scratch. Um, we're reviewing our uh, you know our search and escape and resistance uh, training um, uh, just in case something bad happened. We had to eject. You know, so going through all the preparation uh, again, and the the operations group commander at the time uh, brought all of us together and said, you know. It, it, yeah, I need you to pay attention to this training. It's really crucially important uh, because I, you know, I believe in, in what you all are about to do, and I want to make sure that every single one of my boys comes home. And when he said that last sentence, he stared me right in the eyes, and I knew that I was not included as one of his boys. Oh, my gosh. And that set the tone for this other, for this other squadron where um, they, they ignored me. I mean, literally, I did not exist. They walked me off of paths. Um, if I sat down on a table in the chow hall, they got up and they moved. They just up and left. Um, it, was a really, it was a really eye-opening experience about how important leadership is in setting the tone for, for everything that we do. Because even though there were a number of guys in that other unit that they had no problems with me being a female fighter pilot, they had no problems with me flying, they knew that I was there to serve, that I had taken the same oath as them, but because of the tone that the leadership set, they did not feel that they had the freedom to be able to speak out against that. And so they went along with with this this culture that had been cultivated by that leadership. And so it's, it, was, it was very interesting to me to see how critical leadership is in setting the tone for an organization and how that impacts the group's performance and the inclusion of, of all group, of all the members' talents and potential to execute that mission. Because so Dan, you're gonna you're gonna laugh because I, I know you've I, you've heard me say this before. I'm gonna say it again. You know, um, you know, combat effectiveness has nothing to do with the size of your dick. I know. I love it. I was hoping <laughs> you'd say that because but it, it's, because it's, it's, it's about it's, kind of, it's about performance. It's not about gender. It's not about it's not about anything other than performance. So my my question, mm-hmm. did you feel, exactly. I know you so well, did you feel compelled that you had to work harder than anyone else just to prove that you are more than equal, which obviously, you know, Freud's law of sublimation, most of the stuff Freud said is complete bunk, but his law of, his law of sublimation is so true where most people allow pain and anger to drag them down. And he says, use it as a motivator. When someone says, you can't, you say, oh, yeah, watch me. Teach us. How did you respond to that? That well, negativity, exactly that right. isolation. What did you do? Well, so I was very fortunate in that the squadron that I was in, um, they, their squadron leadership set the tone of, of inclusion and mutual support. And that, look, you know, we're all here together. Uh, there is no reason for us to be committing fratricide against our blue forces. We are all one team. And so the squadron leadership of the Buckley Guard was really they took a moral stand. And, and I am so proud of that, of, of that group, um, of those guys, of those officers, because they understood that mission was more important 
and that in order to be able to execute and achieve our mission, we needed the talents of everybody, and we needed everyone's 100% commitment. And when you exclude people from the team, you don't, you don't have access to their talents. You don't have access to their abilities, and you certainly don't have their commitment. And so that's one of the reasons why inclusion is so incredibly important. But, you know, you're right, because when I was faced with that, I absolutely was motivated to prove them wrong. But more importantly, it was my commitment to my mission. I Mm. loved being a fighter pilot, and I believed in everything that we were doing and everything that, that, that we stand for. And it was, my, it was really my commitment to the mission and to execute that mission with as much excellence and aggression as I possibly could because our mission had purpose. As fighter pilots, we have purpose. And it was my goal uh, to live in it with, that, with that purpose as much excellence as I possibly could. And so I while I was it. somewhat, I was motivated by, by, by that antipathy, but what really motivated was my purpose. Absolutely. So what one bit of advice would you give to women listening in today if they're faced with any kind of a similar circumstance at work that you were faced with? How did you overcome it? What did you do on a daily basis to rise to the occasion to be who you are today? Well, you know, it's, I, I wish I could break it down into a single sound bite. It's more kind of like a recipe because you need to have different, different skill sets and different um, qualities that you can draw upon to give you strength and to, and to provide you guidance. Um, I think maybe one of the first, and, and, and you'll laugh, I was actually just having this conversation with my daughters at, at dinner um, last night. They're getting, my, my oldest is, uh, is finishing up middle school, my youngest is going into middle school, and um, we were talking about superpowers, and I said, you know, girls, if I could give you one superpower to help guide you through life, it would be the F.U. superpower, only to be used for the, for the purposes of good and righteousness. But, but really, what it's about is the F.U. superpower is about knowing yourself. It's about maintaining your integrity. It's about knowing the right thing to do and the ability to be yourself, to live with authenticity, to know your purpose, and to know what the right thing is to do and to be able to act in accordance with that no matter what people on the outside are saying. Because if you don't have that internal compass, you you can't really do anything of consequence. You know, the, the Air Force, our core values are integrity first, service before self, and excellence in all we do. There's a reason why they're in that order. Mm. If you don't have integrity, if you don't have that bedrock, that foundation of integrity, you can't serve. Yeah, the and others don't matter. Yeah. yeah, the others don't matter. You can't put that service before self because you don't even know who you are. Mm. And and there's no way that you can do anything with excellence if you're always trying to be what someone else wants you to be, if you're always second-guessing uh, uh, your perceptions or your choices, if you're, you know, if you're trying, if you're, if you don't even really know who you are, what the right thing is to do, how can you choose the right thing? How can I you totally do that? get it. Yep. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, we're listening to Heather Penny, call sign Lucky, female fighter pilot, F-16, extraordinary hero, my friend. Let's go to commercial break, but you don't want to miss the second segment with uh, with Heather. She's most widely recognized for her service on September 11th, 2001, that horrible, horrific day when America was attacked. 
and her amazing involvement in that day where she was called upon to just dig deeper than anyone I can imagine and rise to the occasion just because she had to. It ties in with the preamble of the show and the reason that we focused at the very beginning on service before self. Let's go to commercial break. We'll be back with Heather Lucky Penny in a moment. Hear the stories. Be motivated. Be inspired. Join us today. Voice America Influencers. If you're an event meeting planner like me, you have two ongoing challenges. You can't afford to have a speaker who bombs. And when you do have an amazing speaker, who in the world do you bring into next year's meeting that will top them? Well, you never have to worry again. Book Dan Clark. Dan Clark is one of the most incredible human beings on the planet. He's been named one of the top 10 speakers in the world. He's known for customizing his speech around your meeting theme. So your people leave with benefits that last a lifetime. Here's the number, 1-800-676-1121. Or just visit danclark.com. I'm busy and so is my family. Leftover pizza and unhealthy takeout isn't really doing it for us anymore. Just ask my bathroom scale. That all changed when I found Freshly. For less than $10 a meal, Freshly delivers six meals a week, always fresh, never frozen, prepared by top chefs and nutritionists using the best, freshest, gluten-free ingredients. The best part is the menu is always new and fresh, just like the food, and it only takes three minutes for me to prepare breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and there's no messy cleanup and no dishes. My family loves the choices and the taste and freshly delivers to my home and my office so I eat healthy all day, every day. If you're tired of the same old cardboard delivery and takeout, try out Freshly.com today and save $20 on your first order using coupon code VAH639 at Freshly.com. Your taste buds and your scale will thank you. So save 20 bucks today with coupon code VAH639 at Freshly.com. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. You're listening to The Art of Significance featuring your host, Dan Clark. If you want to join in on this week's discussion, give us a call at 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop Dan a line via email to Clark at xmission.com. Now back to the Art of Significance. Here again is Dan Clark. Welcome back with my guest, Heather Lucky Penny, who was part of the first wave of women who went directly into fighters from pilot training, United States Air Force National Guard. She's most widely recognized for her service on September 11, 2001. Heather, take us back to that day, set us up what was going on, and uh, I, listeners, you're in for a treat, a true American hero. Heather? Well, I mean, as, as everyone else remembers uh, that, that Tuesday morning, it was, 
it started out as a morning just like like every other. I mean, we had just gotten back from Red Flag. We'd spent two weeks uh, in the Nevada deserts, uh, basically putting on a, a, a massive uh, uh, war exercise. We're, you know, fighting our way in, dropping our bombs, fighting our way back out. Um, you know, I got two MIG kills. It was fabulous. Uh, but we get back, you know, and, and everyone needs to see their families. So we've been gone for a while, and, and we were going back to our normal part-time structure. So uh, most of the most of the folks in a National Guard unit are part-timers. So they had uh, left their jobs and their families for us to go do this exercise. So they were going getting back to their real lives. And I'm a, I'm I'm a new guy, right? I'm a I'm a, a young first lieutenant. I've you know been in the squadron for a little while. Uh, contrary to uh, to your to your wonderful uh, um, introduction to me, I I, I I joke that my my call sign's lucky because it's better lucky than good, right? But um, <laughs> we were we were doing uh, uh, the normal administration of running a fighter squadron uh, when we got a knock on the door and someone. Yeah, Chunks Callahan. You were in Washington, uh, D.C., right? In the guard there in yep. D.C. There okay. at uh, on Andrews Air Force Base, uh, just less than eight miles away from uh, from the Smithsonian Mall, from our nation's capital, from the White House. And we get a knock on the door, and uh, one of our enlisted folks, uh, David Callahan, looks in and he says, sorry to interrupt, but um, an airplane just flew into the World Trade Center. And we didn't have a television in front of us, so we, you know, so we made, you know, we made a couple of jokes like, "Gosh, how do you, how do you do that?" You know, did someone really buffoon their approach into LaGuardia, or uh, you know, maybe it was a little bug smasher? And everyone knows bug smashers bounce off of buildings, you know. Um, so we just we we made a couple, uh, you know, dark humor, and uh, went back to our business because I, I think everyone kind of remembers back that. That morning, that day, we, Americans lived in two different worlds. If you saw the images, if you saw the Trade Center, you lived in a post-9-11 world. You, you, there was something that fundamentally shifted. But if you hadn't seen it, you just simply didn't know. Things were still normal. So it wasn't until Chunks came back, Dave came back, and he said, a second aircraft hit the other World Trade Center. It was on purpose that we got up and we went to the bar and we saw on the television what everyone else saw that morning. And it was clear to us what we needed to do. But, you know, one of the challenges is that even though we needed, knew we needed to be airborne, that we knew we needed to protect our nation's capital, I mean, that's, that's what our squadron is called. We are the capital guardians. Um, we had no way to get the legal authorities to be able to do that. Uh, the peace dividend of the 1990s, when we drew down the military uh, after the Soviet Union fell, uh, you know, during the Cold War, we had, and, and, and my, my guard unit was part of that, we had uh, squadrons all over the United States at the borders, looking out, watching the polar ice caps, waiting for the Soviet bear bombers to come in. And, and, and that, when that mission was no longer needed, when the Soviets were no longer that kind of threat, uh, that mission went away. And so on September 10th, actually September 11th too, there were really only four lonely outposts staring out over the oceans to protect our nation's skies. 
and they were looking out. They weren't looking in. We were not one of those. And so when when the the planes hit the trade center, not only was there was there chaos about what was going on, but no one even knew that we were there as a resource. Mm. Um, so it, it was. It's interesting how we actually got the authorization authorization to get airborne. It was from Vice President uh, Cheney. And it was uh, a matter of personal relationships, as, as often ha- many things get done. It's through your network. Um, but uh, he was the one that granted us the authorization to launch, which he could do because of the, of the unique command and control structure of the D.C. Air National Guard. Um, our... Our command didn't go up to the governor because there is no governor of the District of Columbia. It actually goes straight to the president. Hmm. And normally they delegated that authority because it wasn't something that they needed to use often. But in this case, uh, it was very unique. Chase uh, said, aren't there fires at Andrews? I mean, because as they operate Air Force One and and, uh, and all the DV airlift out of there, they knew that, that there were fighters on our side. Somebody get them airborne. And so the Secret Service, uh, who they control the airfield during those aircraft movements, they actually knew our number and they were able to call our supervisor of flying and give us the authorization to launch. Okay, so the call comes in and who's in the office? Just you and your commander? There were several people standing around the ops desk, right? Um, so, for example, we had uh, Phil Dog Thompson. He was our, our supervisor of flying that day. He's kind of the adult supervision, um, making sure that uh, everything goes safely and smoothly. And we had sent a three-ship of uh, aircraft down to the Dare County Ranges in North Carolina to just do some basic surface attack, just some basic bombing, um, kind of the bread and butter of fighter pilot type stuff. Uh, so he was there at the desk, and he was obviously, you know, phones to both ears. We also had um, our general, Dave Worley, who was trying to, uh, trying to push the rope of the chain of command to reach up from where he was to try and gain the authorization. And we also had uh, uh, Major, at the time, Major uh, Dan Raisin Kane. And uh, Raisin was our weapons officer. And this is something that he did, which was really, I mean, just so foresightful. He calls down to the bomb dump. Granted, we don't have the other authorization yet. Um, we've got no air tasking order. And normally the pacing of war, like when we were over in Iraq in 03, it takes about three days because you have to, be, you have to know your missions. You order the bombs from the dump. They've got to actually build them up because we don't keep our fuses and our sensors and our explosives together. You want to keep all that separate, right? Mm-hmm. So Raisin calls down to the bomb dump, which is a way behind the golf course, you know, far away from all your, all your buildings. And these guys, you know, this is 2001. We don't have a whole lot of cell phones. But they're probably mm-hmm. playing a card game. And Raisin calls them and says, hey, guys, I need you to build me up some, some missiles, some live ones, real explosives, real few. Yes, nope, just, just trust me, make it happen. Raisin took a calculated risk that day. It was a risk that we could afford to take. It's the worst-case scenario. We could bring the missiles to the, to the flight line and then send them back. But he took a calculated risk because he didn't have any permission or authority to really make that happen. 
and it's really a testament to his leadership, his mm. credibility, his integrity, that those enlisted troops in the, in, in the weapon shop, they started to build up those AIM-9s mm-hmm. because we needed them right away. We didn't have any weapons on the aircraft. We don't, when, when fighters are flying around, everything we have is training. So it's either it's, it's, it's a con, you know, 33-pound concrete bomb or you know, it's, it's fixed to the... We don't fly around with real weapons. So, so what the phone we call, so the phone, yeah, so if the phone call comes in, and did you have time to wait for the folks to bring the bombs, the weapons, the rockets, the missiles from the from the uh, no, from the bomb dump, as you call? So what happened? Yeah, no, we didn't. Um, Mark Sasseville, his call sign was Sass, he was our director of operations. He was standing there, and he looks at me and goes, okay, lucky, let's go. And he looked at Raisin and he said, Raisin, you and, and Igor, um, Brandon Rasmussen, you and Igor wait till you get those missiles on board. And as soon as you got those M9s, you can take off. But you wait until you have missiles. And Sass and I ran down to life support. And we're putting on our, our G-suits. And, and I'm trying to, okay, I've got my helmet. I've got my oxygen mask. I've got my G-suit. I, you know, I'm putting on my vest. And Sass looks at me and he says, I'll take the cockpit. Because, as I mentioned, we don't fly around with real weapons on board. The most that we had on, on the aircraft at the time were, it was 105 rounds of training bullets, so just lead-nose bullets. Mm. And between the two of us, that would have been 210 rounds, and that never would have been enough to take down an airliner. So, Sass would take the cockpit, meaning he would ram the cockpit. So you're two ships, so you take off, you're his wingman, mm-hmm. and, but, yep. the, but the information, the intel comes in that there is another plane that has been hijacked and they believe it's on its way to take out the Capitol or the White House, is that correct? Uh, exactly. So after, um, after the Pentagon was hit, uh, we, knew that there, we knew that there was another aircraft inbound. And they had lost it on the radar. It had gone. It had gone down so low that the FAA couldn't track it anymore. And that's what we were going to go look at. That's what so we were going to try to intercept. So your mission yeah. was two two it's jets down. two yeah two planes into the World Trade Center, and now you're still on the ground in the D.C. district with the Pentagon being hit, and now you go airborne, and your mission is what? To find Flight 93 and take wow. it down. Knowing when you took off, when did you realize it was a, su- a potential suicide mission because you had no weapons on board? You actually had to ram the jet to take it down. When did that occur to you? Uh, <laughs> it wasn't a potential. It was, I mean, you have to understand from my perspective, the fact that I'm standing here talking with you today means that we were a mission failure. But um, when, mm-hmm. we, when we looked at... Uh, when we looked at what the, I mean, as, as we were standing there at the ops desk and we knew that we didn't have weapons on board, we knew that that was going to be our only option. And it's funny because people have asked me, um, you know, were you scared? What were you feeling? And honestly, um, I, I didn't have any fear. I you, didn't, I, I you did took not off. really you knew have. Your mission, your, you took off and your mission was to find this flight that had disappeared and ram it, ram it 
before it has a chance to take out the Capitol or the White House? If there was a meaning in my life, if I had been born for any purpose, then clearly that was it. Hmm. Wow. So I had no second thoughts. Wow. I mean, like, like it, what we needed to do was obvious. Wow. And like every other, every other service member who has ever raised their hand and sworn an oath. And when I say service, I don't mean just military members. I mean all of our first responders, our policemen, our firemen. We're all saying that we understand we're part of something that's bigger than ourselves. We're part of something that's more important than ourselves. And if that requires a personal sacrifice that we believe so much in our communities, our neighborhoods, our states, our country, our way of life, that we believe so much in what it means to be an American that our, our sacrifice is worth it. And that's how I know that, you know, what I was willing to do that day is nothing special because anyone who had seen that footage, anyone who calls themselves an American, they would have been willing to do the same thing. I just happened to be standing in the right place at the right time or the wrong place at the wrong time. I mean, however you want to frame it, I just happened to be there that day. But anyone would have been able to do the same thing because there are things in this world that are more important than ourselves. Well, so tell us how the day ended, how this mission ended. So you're airborne, and then bring us up to speed to to, to your landing. Well, we um, you know we we went out uh, towards Pennsylvania. We went far enough out to ensure that we weren't going to um, that that we were going to miss it. Uh, then we had to return back to make sure we didn't get flanked. So uh, in case it had come around from a different access, and we you know we were on the wrong we were pointing in the wrong direction. Came back around. We uh, did a combat air patrol. Um, Raised in an Igor got airborne. Later on, uh, we had uh, F-16s um, out of Langley show up, and they brought a tanker with them, which was fabulous. I was airborne for about four and a half hours uh, that first mission. Mm. Landed, peed, called my mom and dad. I'm okay. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. Night, we, we, we took off again, and, uh, and we did another four and a half hour combat air patrol. Um, we escorted uh, President Bush and Air Force One back in, and... Uh, then we began the, the work of setting up a long-term combat air patrol uh, because we had fighters 24-7 over D.C. for a long time after that. Yeah. And uh, tell my listeners, our listeners, about this extraordinary experience when the folks started to evacuate the Pentagon. That always brings tears to my eyes. I can't even tell it without crying. So you, now I'm putting you on the hot spot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I had mentioned that we had sent a three-ship down, um, down to Air Force Dare in, the, in, in North Carolina, and those guys um, were just going out there to do basic surface attack, basic bombing sortie. And one of them was a uh, lieutenant just like myself, uh, Eric Puck Hagenson. You know, he's coming back because he, he, he ran out of gas a little bit early, and so he's going to come back home. And uh, he's coming into the airspace, and he gives uh, Doug Thompson, who was our supervisor of flying, he gets, calls him off the radio and says, Guard's off. This is uh, Bully 2. Bully 2 is his call sign. And uh, Doc says, okay, you know, Bully 2 is Guard's off. Go. 
Washington's telling me I can't come into their airspace because you remember they had taken off before anything had happened. Mm-hmm. Don't you worry. You just you just keep on coming back in. And Puck calls back a little bit a little bit later because um, he's getting ready to come into land and and he goes uh, you know a hey, hey, dog they're they're asking me if I've got any weapons on board. Don't you worry. You just come back on in. And I listened to Puck's tapes later on uh, because there's a, a thing called the Aerodrome Terminal Information System. It's a it's a it's a loop um, that you can dial in on the radio. It's, it tells you the weather and landing runway and just information pilots need to know to land. And this is what the Andrews Air Force Base uh, said. This is Andrews Air Force Base Information Bravo. Uh, Andrews Air Force Base is closed. Washington-class Bravo airspace is closed. Any aircraft attempting to enter Washington-class Bravo airspace will be shot down. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Could you imagine what's And he's running out of gas lines? trying to land. Yeah, he's running out of gas so, trying to so, land. Exactly. He comes in, he lands. But actually, right behind him are Bully 1 and Bully 2. Bully 1 is... Um, uh, Shooter Campbell, Lou Campbell, and or Bully, and Bully 3, I'm sorry, the, the two aircraft behind uh, uh, Puck are Bully 1 and Bully 3. And Bully 3 is um, uh, Billy Hutchison. So Dog had called down to the range and said, send those guys back home because we need them right away. So they're coming back home as fast as they can. And, uh, and they land. And, and they're landing as Sass and I are starting our jets up. Mm. And that we we know that we know that there's another aircraft inbound, and so Dog asks Shooter, who is Bully One, hey hey Shooter, how much gas you got? And Shooter doesn't have enough. Okay, Billy, how much gas you got? And Billy's got, you know, just barely enough. Dog says, okay, Billy, you got enough gas for one pass up and down the river. They think another one's coming in low, and they think it's coming over the river. So Billy takes off, and Sass and I are seconds behind him. What had gone on in the Pentagon when they got hit was that they began to evacuate, right? So people are streaming out of the building, going into South Parking. They're coming out where the, the metro entrance. They're, they're going out the, the river entrance and in, into North Parking. And if you, don't, if, if you haven't seen the Pentagon, that North Parking is situated on the other side of a busy highway from the Pentagon. So you actually have to go up and over a pedestrian bridge to get into North Parking. And North Parking is trapped. It is in between that that Highway 110 and uh, the Potomac River. So once you're you're in the parking, you're, you're stuck there. But remember, at the time, evacuations were about fire evacuations. It wasn't anything like this. So people are streaming out of the building, and they're going up over the pedestrian bridge, and they're going into North Parking. And there's a little daycare center at the bottom of the bridge on the Pentagon side. And the women, again, they're evacuating the daycare center, but... They don't have an, they don't have enough hands. You know, they've got they've got four babies to a crib. They've got six babies to a buggy, uh, and and one caretaker per crib per buggy, and they can't they can't take these babies up the steps to get away from the building. Um, so literally, those caretakers are giving babies away. As people are coming out of the Pentagon, they're handing these babies. Sir, can you take these babies? Because I can't carry them over. I can't carry them wow. all. Wow. And the, the winds were light. They were out of the southwest that morning. So it was blowing the smoke and the fumes and the ashes 
over the Pentagon and across the highway over to North Parking. So you have these people trapped and the ashes are falling down and the stench of jet, jet fuel and they're silent. They're totally silent because they've just been in the building. They know another one's inbound, but there's, there's no cell phones. There's no iPads. They don't, now that they're away from their desks, they're just simply waiting and they're trapped. And Billy... He takes off out of Andrews, and he's in full afterburner. And he stays low, because that's what Dog told him to do. And he goes roaring right over the Pentagon. And they erupted into cheers. Because they knew, they knew then, that we were airborne. That Air Force fighter jets were airborne, and we weren't going to let anything happen to them. We weren't going to let anything hurt them. That now that we were airborne, they were okay. Wow. Again, I'm 6'5", crying like a baby. (laughs) Amazing, Heather. Wow. The sound of freedom, as you say. Yep. Yep. Wow. Love the smell of jet fuel in the morning. You got that right. Well, I would be remiss if I didn't allow my listeners to understand what you're up to. Now, I'm going to have you back on the show. I, I admire and honor you so much. You know that. But please, I whipped through in your introduction... This commemorative Air Force's Rise Above WASP program. Can you please take a couple of minutes and just explain to all of us what it is, how we can help support it? Oh, please! Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. Uh, for for the folks that are out there, uh, look up Rise Above WASP. WASP stands for the Women Air Force Service Pilots. These women um, in the 1940s answered our nation's call and and went to pilot training. They became pilots, and they they flew every air for every aircraft in uh, our entire inventory, and freed up men to be able to go fight the war overseas. Um, they really were the first. They were the first fighter pilots, and they made it possible for me to do what I, you know, what they made it possible for me to serve. And so with this Rise Above WASP program with the Commemorative Air Force, we are going to tell their story, but not just tell their story like a documentary or, or a history. What was really critical about these women was the grit that they had and to succeed because they really broke barriers. No one thought that girls could fly fighters, but they did. And it really required grit. And so we've distilled some six attributes uh, that, that gave them the character tool set to succeed, to overcome those barriers and achieve their dreams. And so we're, built, we're, we're building a film. We're going to distribute it across the nation to schools, to communities, so that these kids can not only learn and be inspired by these amazing role models, but they can also have the tool set of grit to learn the, the the things that they need to have inside of themselves, the character that they need to have to overcome their own personal barriers. We're aiming it towards kids in middle school years because those are really formative. And so I'm really excited about being able to reach out and touch these kids and change their lives, helping them dare to become what they dream. So again, it's, it's Rise Above Wasp. And uh, please, thank you for your support. No, thank you. And I, I encourage everybody to support you. Uh, And Heather is an amazing, inspirational, motivational, team-building expert speaker. And is there a way that someone could get a hold of you if they wanted to hire you to come in and speak to their company, their corporation, their organization? Is there any way? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. You know my name, my call sign, heather.lucky.com. 
dot penny. That's p e n n e y at gmail dot com. Uh, please go ahead and, and reach out. And remember, as a thirty five year professional speaker, I've disco- I've discovered long ago that a man can be a role model to a man, but a woman can be a role model to both a man and a woman. You need to call and contact Heather Lucky Penny. I'd rather be good than lucky. Well, I'll have to disagree, my friend. I'd rather be with lucky than to feel good. So, actually, I'd rather be, I'd rather, you can tell I'm a hit songwriter. <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd rather be great. lucky who makes me feel good. And that's a good way to put it. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, this has been an extraordinary interview. Thank you. We love you. We honor you. Thanks. Uh, remember the military and all of our prayers. Let's go to commercial break, but don't go anywhere. I'm back with... 12-year NFL uh, legend, Scott Mitchell, quarterback extraordinaire, uh, who uh, has a great story. He's an author, and uh, he'll be explaining his journey from athletics through the Biggest Loser television show uh, back to having his own radio show and being a superstar influencer in our lives. Dan Clark, the Influencers Channel, will be back in a moment. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. I just got out of a meeting where the unbelievable Dan Clark was the keynote speaker. He is clearly the most interesting man in the world. He's been into space. He reminded us to think bigger. He's a primary contributor to those chicken soup books. And he inspired all of us to make our lives matter. He taught us how to deal with change like he had to when he had to recover from a paralyzing football injury. Everybody needs to hear his message on leadership and safety and how he turns last place NFL teams into Super Bowl champions. Call this number, 1-800-676-1121 and visit danclark.com. Life is complicated and sometimes we all need a little help, but don't have the time for a full hour-long session or don't know who to turn to. That's where BetterHelp comes into play. With BetterHelp, I can get matched with one of over 2,500 licensed and approved counselors and therapists and get help anytime, anywhere, totally private. For a flat weekly fee starting at $35, I can connect with my counselor via text, chat, video conference, or phone, which is great for me because I'm always on the go. And I can go back to previous sessions whenever I want through my secure account from anywhere in the world. It's a great feeling to know that help is there, affordable, private, and convenient to my schedule. We all can use a little help. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash VA health and register for free. You can try it for seven days without being charged on your credit card and get matched with a licensed counselor usually within 24 hours. Get better help today at betterhelp.com forward slash VA health. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You're listening to The Art of Significance, featuring your host, Dan Clark. 
If you want to join in on this week's discussion, give us a call at 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop down a line via email to Clark at xmission.com. Now back to the Art of Significance. Here again is Dan Clark. Welcome back. My next guest, Scott Mitchell, grew up in a small town in Utah where sports became his passion. He was an all-state player in three sports. Yeah, football, basketball, baseball. The MVP in football and baseball and a high school All-American. He won state championships in football and baseball. He was the Utah State MVP in football and baseball and the Utah Gatorade Player of the Year in football. Now, why would I bore anybody with a resume that starts in high school? Here's my point with my next guest, with all of my guests. The, the, the individuals in our world who truly rise above and rise to the occasion, like my last guest, Heather Penny, are those who have established a pattern of seeking excellence in all they do. So they're exactly the same on the field as they are off the field. They're extraordinary human beings. I've worked with so many NFL teams, so many organizations around the world, and we all know that you don't win with the best players. You win and continuously win and create a dynasty legacy organization because you understand you win with the right people. Scott Mitchell's passion for sports continued in college at the University of Utah, my alma mater, where he majored in economics. In four years at Utah, he set 10 WAC Western Athletic Conference records and 38 NCAA passing records along with every major passing record at Utah. He was the conference player of the year and an all-conference player, but here's where his life took an enormous leap. Continuously pursuing that pattern of excellence, the Miami Dolphins drafted Scott in the NFL in 1990. He played professional football for 12 years with the Dolphins the Detroit Lions, Baltimore Ravens, and the Cincinnati Bengals. He was a Pro Bowl player. He was named AFC and NFC Player of the Week and Player of the Month several times in the NFL. And he finished his career with over 17,000 yards passing and 115 touchdown passes. We can get into the rest of this as we interview him. Scott Mitchell, welcome to my show. You know that even though you're younger than me, I've looked up to you. I idolize you and I appreciate you more because of who you are as a human being than I ever did as a left-handed quarterback who uh, who spun the, the ball in the wrong direction. <laughs> How are you, brother? If you're in the southern hemisphere, it's actually the right direction. So I know. We, just, That's just, we just play down south a lot. That's just so funny. I used to return kickoffs and punts, and when there was a left-handed punter, it would give me brain damage. The ball would feel so different <laughs> when it landed in your in your hand. So I can't even imagine your your uh, your receivers that you had brain damage the first three practices. Okay, let's get into it, brother. You are an extraordinary football player. You know, you're tall. You're six six. You you throw it left. You you had a bullet like pass all the technical skills but I want to go back to the first opportunity that you had with the Miami Dolphins let's go back to that experience where you were first drafted and Don Shula was the coach you were drafted to a team where they had a legendary Hall of Famer Dan Marino ahead of you and give us the details because I can't remember the exact number, but it seems like they drafted like 622 quarterbacks that year. And so you were wondering how come you too? Take us back to that experience all the way through to you being prepared, you being sick before the game. I want the <laughs> whole story, brother. You know, I, I love this story and it's so inspirational. Oh, well, thank you. 
So it's it's interesting in in my bio that you mentioned that success in high school, and and a lot of and it's so true that that we develop these patterns uh, of being successful and. I, I learned so much about myself through through my high school experience in sports. It was wonderful, but uh, my whole life I had been a good player. You know, I had I, I succeeded, but there was a lot of work. You know, at first I, I wasn't really good at things, and I had to work at them and get better and better until I you know until I could do it. And it was that willingness to stay with something until I was able to master it. And so often we quit before we get to that point, but. Uh, which is which is what happened to me when I was drafted. So in 1990, I was drafted by the Miami Dolphins, and I was the fourth-round draft choice. There were about eight or nine quarterbacks in the NFL drafted before I was. That was a really hard thing for me to take because leading up to the draft, um, experts and people that I talked to said, look, you're going to be a first-round draft choice. At worst case scenario, you're going to go in the second round. So watching the NFL draft, I'm thinking, hey, I'm a pretty good player, you know. Anyways, I ended up going fourth round to the Miami Dolphins. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You know, they already have Dan Marino here. And at the moment, at that moment, the first time I ever talked to Coach Shula on the, sh- the telephone, he congratulated me uh, for for being drafted. And I was, I was so disappointed I felt like it was the worst day of my life. You know, here I was going to the Miami Dolphins. They already had a great quarterback. And and it's not like college where you get a scholarship and you're on the team. It's like you have to make the team. And they had two other quarterbacks that were already there, Scott Seekels and Cliff Stout. Cliff Stout had played a lot of years with the Pittsburgh Steelers and was there through some of their their Super Bowls backing up Terry Bradshaw. So he was a good player, and so was Scott Seekels. And they only kept two quarterbacks, so... One of them was a Hall of Famer, and then the three of us were battling for one position. And what I did is I just moved to Miami, Florida. I packed everything I owned, took it in a U-Haul, rented an, an apartment with a two-year lease, and I just said, I, I'm going to be the starting quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> I went, you know, I got there that first week. I got interviewed, and they said, you know, how do you feel about being here? And I, and I told the newspapers this. I will be the starting quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and they just laughed at me. They said, you know who's ahead of you? And I said, well, of course I do. And, and it was having that mindset that I, I was there to be the starter and, to, and, and I committed myself to this 100%. Had I never done that, it, it would have never happened. Not in a million years would I have made it. And, and let me tell you, when I first got there, I felt like I, I wasn't going to make it. That first day of practice, I, I was so starstruck. I was, it was so fast. It was, it was like, I'll never be able to do this. And, and I was very discouraged by everything, but still determined to, to figure it out. And so for four years... I, I never played, but I, I played in my mind and I, I, I made sure that every week I prepared myself to, to, for my opportunity to be, to be the starter. I had even gone to coach Shula after my second year in the NFL. And I said, look, I don't ever get to play. And they have this world league. And would you allow me to go play in the world league during the off season, just so I can get some experience. I, hmm, I just want to wow. do anything I possibly can 
to prepare myself. And that was a very humbling thing to do because I was an NFL player and no real NFL player is going to go ask, you know, it's like being in the major leagues and saying, Hey, could I, could I go with this team and, 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 and go work out with the AAA team just to, just to get better. It's like, you, you know, and, and I, I was just willing to do anything I possibly could do to make sure that I was ready when my opportunity came. And then what so my happened? Fourth year, <laughs> my fourth year, it was the fourth game of the season. And we're on an airplane to go play the Cleveland Browns. So you've made the, the team. Airplane. You're the second. You're the so, second string yeah, quarterback. So I'm, yeah, I'm on the team. I'm the I'm the I'm the backup quarterback. But I don't ever play because Dan Marino's there, yeah. and Dan Marino never got hurt, never was injured, never came out of the game. Shoot, in practice, I never even got to throw the ball at all. I mean, he took all the practice reps and everything. I mean, I just basically stood around. So mm-hmm. I had to find opportunities anywhere, any way I could to get reps. Anyway, so we're we're in our fourth year. I'm on the airplane. And I get sick. By the time we land, I'm so sick, they take me to the hospital. I'm seeing a doctor in, in the hospital, and he says, this is really bad news. He will not play in the game tomorrow. And our trainer said, well, it's okay. He doesn't play anyways. You know, Dan Marino plays, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so they put, they said, he's got a highly contagious form of pink eye. Don't let him around anyone. He'll get them all sick. They took me back to the hotel, put me in a room by myself, and that night I did not sleep a minute. I was as sick as I've ever been in my life. I had fevers. I had, you know, I was throwing up. I was just everything. Miserable. The next morning I go to breakfast, the pregame meal before, before we leave the hotel. The doctor meets with me and says, how do you feel? I said, look, I have no energy. I didn't sleep at all. But if I had to play in an emergency, I could do it. He said, okay, great. Dress for the game. Don't warm up and stay away from everyone. (laughs) So I go on the field. You can imagine this as a former athlete. In my uniform, I don't stretch a muscle I don't sweat a, t- a, a drop of sweat. I don't throw a single pass. I don't even put my helmet on. My hair still look, you know, it looks beautiful and pretty and all combed and wonderful. <laughs> the game starts. First series, we get the ball. Dan Marino goes down the field, scores seven to nothing. We get the ball back again. We go down the field again, score another touchdown, 14 to nothing. Get the ball back again. We're going down the field to score. We're on about the 20-yard line or so. And uh, second down and 10, Dan Marino drops back, plants on his right Achilles, and blows it out. Boom. Whoa. Completes the pass. It's now third and five, and Dan Marino's laying on the ground. And Coach Shula turns to me and says, Mitchell, you're in. <laughs> and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I, no. This is not fair. You know, I have worked so hard. I have prepared for this all the way back to the very first time I played football. I've been preparing for this moment, and it's not fair. I didn't even get to warm up at all. I didn't get to throw a pass. 
I didn't get to sweat a drop. And now I'm going into an NFL game when it's on the line. I love and it. And I, I, I just, I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. They call a pass. I throw the pass. Irving Meyer come, or Irving Fryer comes out of his brake, slips and falls down. The ball hits the defensive back behind Irving uh, in the stomach. <laughs> he runs 97 yards for a Cleveland Browns touchdown. My first pass. Not Mustafa it. is his name. It's still a Cleveland Browns record. <laughs> I love it. So now and I'm like, you, got, you have got to be kidding me. So it's now I, I don't, I don't get a warm up. I'm sick in the hospital and I'm throwing interception. <laughs> so it's 14 to seven. How many minutes before halftime? It's just before half. So luckily we get the ball back because, you know, we, they scored. And we, we kind of burn out the, the, the rest of the first half and we go into halftime. And, and we're in there at halftime and Coach Shula is standing up in front of the t- team and he's dumbfounded because here, here's his Hall of Fame quarterback who started forever, never injured. He doesn't even know what to say or what to do because he's in shock. And he's going around telling everyone, it's going to be okay. You know, we're just fine. And I'm looking around the locker room going, my teammates don't believe that. They're all like, no, it's not okay. This Mitchell guy's never played. He was sick in the hospital and he's not Dan Marino. We're going to lose. <laughs> And I walked out of the halftime and I felt like I've got to say something. I've got to, I've got to let my teammates know, you know, I got to have a conversation with them. Well, the only place to do that's in the huddle. And you don't have time to have a Newt Rockney speech to (laughs) to rally the troops in the huddle because you're going to get a delay game. I just, I don't care. I'll get a delay game. I don't care. Whatever. So I get in the huddle and and I look at everyone. I said, don't worry about me. Just do your job. I'm ready for this, and we'll be just fine. And they're like, yeah, great. Oh, yeah. You know, they're kind of like, hey, you're right. We'll be okay. So in the second half, I threw for 250 yards. Wow. Three touchdowns to our team. So I had four (laughs) four touchdowns on the day. That's funny. (laughs) I was named AFC Offensive Player of the Week. In the uh, first so game I ever played in the NFL. After an interception. After on all of that. Pass. Talk about resiliency. I love it. So, you played for 12 years. What one, 12 years in the NFL. What one lesson did you, did you learn that has, has permeated itself in every aspect of your life as a great family man, as a great community leader, as a great coach? As a great friend, what one thing do you think you have learned that is 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 is, is ongoing in your life because of the character it, that not, you have? It's not just your desire to do things that that creates success. That there there are there are factors that are so important, and and there's several that um, so. You know, I had an experience with my dad when he passed away that kind of exemplifies what I'm saying here. And he said, uh, and he'd struggled with his weight for, for a lot of years. He was 450 pounds when he passed away, and, and I was with him alone in, in this um, intensive care unit. And I remember him looking me in the eyes and saying, if I just, if I just had more willpower, if I could have just tried a little bit harder 
I would have been able to overcome this because this, this didn't have to happen. And he just died from, from being overweight and it created complications, diabetes, and other, other issues that ultimately led to his death. And I just remember him looking at me and, and, I, and I recognized in myself and in the success I'd had in my life that it wasn't, it wasn't just my willpower or my desire by itself that created success. There was, my, there was my own internal motivation, but there were also, it was the people that I put around me. And, and uh, it was the, um, the routines and my willingness to work at things and to practice things. And it was my willingness to recognize that there were ways that I was motivated and influenced by by other things in, in my environment. And, and so it was recognizing, and it's recognizing that there's more to your success than just your desire to do it. The desire is a good start, but it's not everything. And so it's, it's being able to put all of those pieces together and having them work in your favor. And, and people are a big part of it. I, you know, I hear you mm-hmm. say all the time about you're the product of the five people you spend the most, most of your time with. And it is, it is absolutely a truth. And, yeah. and a lot of times we're around people that we want to be around and, and maybe they don't recognize that their influence is actually a negative one. And so it's a hard choice in life to either end that relationship or have a conversation to change the dynamic of that re- uh, relationship. That's, that's uncomfortable often, mm-hmm. and, and, it's, and it's a willingness to do those, those hard things. I mean, you know, Coach Shula was a phenomenal coach. Uh, it was unbelievable. I mean, he was, he was just he was an incredible person to be around, and, and a lot of times you didn't like being around him because he was telling you the things that you needed to hear, not the things you wanted to hear. He wasn't trying to win a popularity contest. He was trying to get you to perform at your highest level. And sometimes it was, it was telling you things that were uncomfortable to you that you didn't like to hear. My daughter this oh, yeah. morning, Dan, she's like, we, um, so we've been, she wants, she wants to, she wants to improve her vertical jump for volleyball. And, and she got up this morning. And so we've been, we've been working on this, this strength program. She got up this morning. She goes, I don't want to go. And I said, I don't care. I said, I love it. because your success in life isn't going to be because, you know, you just show up every once in a while. If you're committed to this, which you said you were, then you're going to get out of bed and we're going to go. We got done. She looked at me it. as we're driving home <clears throat> and she goes, she goes, you know what? She said, it wasn't that hard. It wasn't that bad. She goes, I feel better right now. And Madison, your biggest challenge in life is to get out of bed. It, once uh, you get out of bed, it's it's it, everything is easy from that point. But it's it's that initial get out of bed, get off the couch, quit feeling sorry for yourself. That that is it is the beginning of of change, and it's your willingness, Madison, to to say, you know what, Dad, you're right. I'm gonna go. So and, it's and that's it's, part of learning from coaches and the people around you. It's the beginning that sometimes stops us the quickest. Isn't that interesting? You know, we only have a few minutes left, Scott, and I definitely want to get into 
the life-changing transformational process that you experienced and kind of exposed to the world on the, the critically acclaimed show, The Biggest <laughs> Loser, and uh, your subsequent book that you authored called Alive Again. So let's uh, just take a couple of moments here and set this up. What what happened in your life um, that put you in a predicament where you actually heard about this TV show, The Biggest Loser, and in a quick amount of time, how, how that audition process worked, how you found yourself in uh, Malibu Canyon, if I remember you telling me your story. And uh, let's just kind of keep it to... You know, a, 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 a short amount of time, and then I'm going to have you back on the show. Obviously, we're such good buddies. I, I want to talk to you about yeah, many sure. things. So just yeah, take no, us there in yeah. a couple minutes, if you would, please. So, what so happened? It's, it, yeah, so so as I said, my dad was dying, and, you know, how do you make sense of that? And we were in this room alone, and, and to give us privacy, they closed the door, and there was this picture of this butterfly. And I saw the butterfly, and I said, you know, Dad, you're the, like this old, worn-out caterpillar, who's going to go into a cocoon like you're dying, but someday you're going to come back as this beautiful butterfly. Well, two months later, I'm, I'm on the show, and believe me, I, I have no idea how I end up on it. It was just kind of crazy, just, you know, fate that I ended up there. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm literally having my first interview with my trainer, Dovet Quince, on The Biggest Loser, and a butterfly flies and lands on his shoe as he starts to talk to me. My gosh! And and I'm you know and I, it just brought me to tears. And I, I'm just like, I felt like my dad was saying to me, kind of like what we just talked about, that you don't have to die like me to to become that butterfly. That you can find within yourself the attributes, the strength, the pathway, the pattern to to get through this challenge in your life, the struggle. And, and you don't have to, you don't have to go have plastic surgery. You don't have to become another person. Just like the caterpillar is, the caterpillar is the butterfly. It just hasn't figured it out yet. And so it's looking within yourself and your capabilities and it's, and it's creating this pattern to success. And that's what, that's what I, I got reminded of on the show. You know, eating for me is a challenge and, and I struggle with it often but I know that it doesn't have to consume me. I know that there's a way that I can overcome any challenge, any struggle that I face in, in, in my life. And what I love about this whole caterpillar butterfly thing that I kind of went through was because I was a caterpillar, I can appreciate how majestic and how beautiful I am as a butterfly that I, I know what it's like to struggle. I know what it's like to be ugly. I know what it's like to, you know, have no one think I'm wonderful, that I'm all alone. And, and I can appreciate what I've become because I've had that struggle. And that was the really changing or takeaway I had from this Biggest Loser experience was the greatest failures in my life have actually been my greatest blessings because I've learned and I've developed in me character traits that I didn't know existed. And I've become so much more. I've become so much more dynamic, so much more resilient, so much more patient, so much more determined and forgiving and just complete because I've, I've failed. 
And I think all too often we think that we fail because we're being punished or we fail because we think um, we're not good enough or we didn't try hard enough. And actually a lot of those failures, actually all of mine have turned out to be the greatest gifts I've ever been given. Wow. So right now, I want everybody to know that Scott loves getting to know people, obviously. You're a great interview and has turned that curiosity into two successful multimedia podcasts with subscribers across the world. One is called Helmets Off. You've had me on that. The other with former NFL and college great Jason Buck, a dear friend of both of ours. And that show is called Rivals. Scott also co-hosts a Sunday night sports show on ABC called Real Sports Live. In conclusion, Scotty, tell us how to get a hold of you. You're an amazing motivational speaker. Corporations need to know how to get a hold of you to come in and speak to their folks. And how do they access your uh, your radio shows, your podcasts? So you can get get on the podcast. It's Helmets Off and Rivals. And you can go to iTunes or Google Play and just type in uh, Helmets Off and Rivals and you can download the podcast for free. They, they are they're amazing. Uh, I use some of uh, the most successful people in sports and entertainment and just across the board, uh, fascinating stuff. Uh, absolutely love it. I feel like it's not even work. It's just so enjoyable to do. And then well, you can go to scottmitchell.com. Uh, and uh, if you would like to have me speak, I'd love to do it. <laughs> it used to be one of my biggest fears in life, but I've just thoroughly enjoyed uh, the challenge of becoming an inspirational speaker and um, <laughs> enjoy all of it. <laughs> Thanks. We've been talking with Scott Mitchell, NFL uh, 12-year NFL veteran, superstar, coach, friend, neighbor. You're a good man. I love you, brother, and I'll have you on again. This is Dan Clark, voiceamerica.com, the Influencers Channel. Let's go to a commercial break, and we're coming back with Randy Garn. And this guy is so amazing. Wisdom flows in every word. He's been awarded Entrepreneur of the Year by Ernst & Young. Top 40 under 40 entrepreneurs received many other awards and recognition in business and charitable event. His Rolodex reads like a who's who of important people and successful entrepreneurs. Don't go anywhere. Dan Clark, commercial break. We'll be back with my buddy Randy Garn. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. I'm busy and so is my family. Leftover pizza and unhealthy takeout isn't really doing it for us anymore. Just ask my bathroom scale. That all changed when I found Freshly. For less than $10 a meal, Freshly delivers six meals a week, always fresh, never frozen, prepared by top chefs and nutritionists using the best, freshest, gluten-free ingredients. The best part is the menu is always new and fresh, just like the food, and it only takes three minutes for me to prepare breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and there's no messy cleanup and no dishes. My family loves the choices and the taste and freshly delivers to my home and my office so I eat healthy all day, every day. If you're tired of the same old cardboard delivery and takeout, try out Freshly.com today and save $20 on your first order using coupon code VAH639 at Freshly.com. Your taste buds and your scale will thank you. So save 20 bucks today with coupon code VAH639 at Freshly.com. If you're an event meeting planner like me, you have two ongoing challenges. 
You can't afford to have a speaker who bombs. And when you do have an amazing speaker, who in the world do you bring into next year's meeting that will top them? Well, you never have to worry again. Book Dan Clark. Dan Clark is one of the most incredible human beings on the planet. He's been named one of the top 10 speakers in the world. He's known for customizing his speech around your meeting theme. So your people leave with benefits that last a lifetime. Here's the number, 1-800-676-1121. Or just visit danclark.com. Become a member of voiceamerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Hear the stories. Be motivated. Be inspired. Join us today. Voice America Influencers. You're listening to The Art of Significance, featuring your host, Dan Clark. If you want to join in on this week's discussion, give us a call at 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop Dan a line via email to Clark at xmission.com. Now back to The Art of Significance. Here again is Dan Clark. Welcome back with my last and final guest uh, on purpose. He's the closer. He's the uh, the fourth man on the 4 by 100 relay team, always the fastest, always the most qualified to win the race. Randy Garn is a partner's is a partner at Greer Company. Greer Company is a privately owned company and fund that invests in unique properties and business. Randy Garn was founding partner of Hero Partners, recently created the Hero CEO Club as a partner at Hero Partners Invitation Only Entrepreneurs Club for CEOs that are fast growth transformational companies. Listen to this. The Hero CEO Club that he recently acquired by uh, that he recently acquired by Jeff Hazlett and the C-Suite Network as as he gets involved at the highest level and is an expert in influencing the affluent networking at the highest level. Randy is a passionate entrepreneur, New York Times best-selling author, and he loves growing companies. As I said before, Randy has been awarded Entrepreneur of the Year by Ernst & Young, top 40, under 40 entrepreneur, and has received many other awards and recognition in business and charitable involvement. Randy is an alumnus of Brigham Young University and sits on the President's Advancement Council at BYU, Idaho. He's also a graduate of the Owner-President Management Program at Harvard University and is an alumnus of the Harvard Business School. I don't want to take any more precious time reading and sucking up to you. I should have just said, can I buy you a new truck? Let's get to the interview. I love you, brother. I honor you. Everywhere I go, your name comes up. Every gala I, I attend, you're there having purchased a table. You're the most philanthropic, the most giving human being on the planet. And as an outsider, I observe and I want you to validate that your philosophy of business is service before self. Tell us about how you approach business and some of the amazing people that you've had an opportunity to meet and influence as a result of your service before self attitude. I love it, Dan. It is so great to be on here with you. 
I mean, I can't even, I can't even tell you how much, uh, honestly, you've influenced my life and it's just, it's time. It's, it's great to take some time out of the day and, and share some thoughts with everyone. Um, I, I watch you and I, I watch you from afar as well. And just, uh, I'm inspired. I just, I just gave your book to a, to a lady that's really, you know, your book art of significance to a lady that's really just exploding with her business. And she, once she read it, she really said, you know what, Randy, I've realized now it's not about me. It's about we, it's about mm-hmm. all the people I can help in my life where it totally changed your perspective. And I think, for me, my dad always taught me three things. He said, Randy, there's three B's in life. B, you got to believe, you got to belong to something, and, and you got to become. What are mm. you going to become? And, and, and those are my three B's in life. How do you apply them as an entrepreneur? Let's take them one step at a time. Okay. So first off is believe. It's, it's a... It's a really important thing is that it literally you have to have faith in yourself. But I, I do think the hardest thing that entrepreneurs have to do is to get out of their own way. And when you are service oriented, like what you talk about, you not just believe in yourself, but you really, really believe in other people and you, you inspire them and help them believe in themselves. And I, I say a lot of times, you know, it's not the size of the problem. It's the size of the person that matters. And so if you can, if you can take that first B and really understand what it means to, to really help others believe in themselves, and you can be that kind of a leader, you're going to grow great organizations. And, you know, a lot of people say, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, you know, build the team. And so the more that you can do that on your, on your first B, you're going to have a, you're going to have a lot more success in your life. Okay, so you've founded several companies, <clears throat> including Prosper and Scipio and some of the mm-hmm. amazing companies. Tell me, tell me how you go about aligning yourself with people with your same philosophy. How do you sift through all the wants, the people who want to drag you down, who want to take, 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 <laughs> and, uh, and align yourself with people who want to give, give, give with the attitude that when the water and the light goes up, all the boats rise together? You know, it, it is, it's perfect. It's a great question. In fact, I, I do think as we, as I work with so many companies with the Hero Club and, and some of the other companies that I'm building now, is that the very hardest thing to do is find and align yourself with people that fit within that culture. Um, I literally, just before this interview, before this interview with you, came from interviewing an employee that we want to hire on. And you, it, it is. That's, it's a skill set um, because sometimes you don't know right away. But if you find the, the right people, the right people you need to look at as an investment in them because the right kind of people will actually grow with you and grow with the company. But you actually have to develop a framework, a framework for them to, to actually excel. And if you see some of the things that I've done, I mean, we had over 900 employees at one of our companies. And that was a ton of fun. It was a long run. But the only way that you can do that is by helping others lead and you inspire as a leader. You let them lead and you need to, you need to kind of get out of the way, but give them a good vision. But the more wow. people you help be successful, the better companies you'll grow. So what you're saying is that the, the, the purpose of a leader is to grow more leaders, not generate more followers, right? It's exactly right. You got you to learn, learn how to lead and, and how to inspire them to become more 
And yeah. I think that's the third B. And it really, I mean, it's second, sorry, it rolls into my second B, which is belong. Every single one of us, Dan, want to belong to something. Mm. Everyone does. And if you can create something that is a, a belonging, is that if you can create an organization or a business or a club, whatever that is, where they feel like they belong to something and that they're not just coming in working a J-O-B, but they're actually in the flow and they're contributing, then, then you've got something really special. So inspired people don't have to be motivated. Who's one of the most inspiring people you've had an opportunity to meet and interact with since you've been build, building these companies? Like I said, your Rolodex is like a who's who of anybody who's done anything in their life significant. <laughs> Just isolate one person and how he or she has inspired you. Well, that's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, there's a lot. I can think of, uh, you know, Rob Ryan, our chairman, he's, Sold, you know, uh, Hero Partners. He sold the company for twenty three point four billion. Um, he always one thing that I learned from him is how to always be in the possibility mindset. There's actually two mindsets, and this is what I actually watch for in people. Is there's two mindset. There's a possibility mindset and probability mindset. You know what the difference of, the, of those two are, Dan? Possibility and probability. Teaches. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think yeah. I get it, but I want you to, I want you to tell the, the listeners, remember seventh grade was my senior year, so I might get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, well, listen. So possibility mindset is you try to find people that, you know, no matter what it is, they'll, they'll find a way. Um, if they don't see, they see the solutions or they'll figure it out. That's being in the possibility mindset. It's like, no matter what, I'm going to do this and I'm going to figure out a way I'm going to climb that mountain and I'm going to get there. Probability mindset, you know, there's an important role in probability mindset, but probability mindset is actually where they see all of the problems and you can't, it's hard to have a strategic meeting or a marketing meeting or a growth meeting when the individual, all they only see is the problems, you really stifle yourself. And so a lot of times we'll have meetings where I'll say, okay, we are in the possibility mindset. Nobody stooped down to probability mindset yet. Let's figure out all the solutions first, and then we can go back and re-engineer what are all the risks. But there are some people in life that can't get out of their own ways, and they only see the issues. They become complainers um, and those kind of people. I always you know, I always say, man, if, if you're, you know, if if you're really struggling in life, you need to get out of that probability, that, that uh, probability mindset and get into possibility. It's just like, dude, I'm going to do anything I can to go through that wall, accomplish things that haven't been done. There's a reason why they haven't been done. Yes, it's going to be hard, but I'll be able to do that. And if you find individuals for your company that are in that mindset, you will rock and roll. I love it. Yeah, there's no I in team, but there's no I in sucks either. There's no I in loser. There's no I in last place, but there's two I's in winning, and that's what you're talking about. The first I, don't let me be the weak link. Let's just build our team one amazing possibility thinker at a time. What's your third yeah. B? Teach us. Well, and the, and the third one is, the third one, you know, that rolls from belong. Once you belong to something, first you got to believe, and then you got to really, if you, you feel like you belong to something, then the next one is like, then, then it's the growth. It's being in the flow. It's when you're both being stretched with your challenges and your skill sets are growing together. That's when people are actually in real joy is when you're literally growing. If, if you're not, then you're going to get bored or you're going to have anxiety. 
But if you're really stretching your challenges and your skill sets, you're becoming something. You're becoming more. You're becoming better. And, you know, the reason why, if you look at corporation, you know, the, the root etymology of, of corporation is corporeal, which means corpse, you know, with not a dead mm-hmm. body, but it's a body. Any organization is a living body. It's an entity, right? And so you think about why do they call it a corporation? Because it's made up of a body of people. An mm. organization is made up of like organs. You've got to think of it that way. You got your heart, your lung, your head, your feet. And if you, if you, as a leader, you can't think that you're the very, very best. But you know what? That receptionist, that, that marketing director, he has a family, he has a life. You have to look at him as, okay, that marketing team, that's my heart. You know what? The, the fulfillment team, that's my, that's my lungs. That's the everyday living, breathing. And then you look at, you know, there's my finance, you know, that's, that's the risk sector. That's, I got to make sure to take care of the, the arteries or whatever it may be, make sure the blood is flowing in my corporation. So if you look at an organization really as a, a single body and that, and that you can help that body become very healthy and strong, every single part of that company has to be healthy, strong and be flowing and living in the right place. So they become because they believe and belong. How brilliant that is, is your exactly. formula? It's so you exactly remind me right. of the of the of the of the uh, Denver Broncos when they won their first Super Bowl. The question on the table was who was going to get the Super Bowl rings. Answer to the question: Every single coach, every single starting player, and every single person on the roster. All NFL teams have fifty three athletes on the roster. The question then was, well, who else is part of the organization? They've been part of this this journey to make them feel belong, like they belong and to believe in mm-hmm. what our mission is. And so every single person in the organization, the receptionist, every secretary, the custodians, the, 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 the equipment managers, everyone got their own Super Bowl ring. What a great story. Well, if you remember, they win it again. The question is, well, everybody has their Super Bowl ring. Let's just give it to the starting players and the second string. Let's just give it to the team. No, every single member of the organization, like you said, receptionists, custodians, team managers, they all got their second Super Bowl ring. I think you're on to something, brother. As we wind up our time together with a few minutes, let me put you on the hot seat. If 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 you were asked to give your last lecture... You and I, we connect at so many levels, and I admire you as a, as a father, as a, as a community activist, as a philanthropist, as an amazing business uh, guru, and as a spiritual leader, a volunteer ecclesiastical leader in various aspects and times of your life. If you had one last lecture, brother, that's the, that's the hot seat. If you had one hour to live, take a couple of minutes here, maybe even four minutes, and give us your last lecture. What is the wisdom of the famous Randy Garn? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one, you know, and I'm, and I'm thinking here, you, you put me on the hot seat, and, and I know that your show is supposed to be about influencers, and, you know, that's why you don't, you know, I am a New York Times bestselling author, but the one thing that I've learned in life is I don't need to be in the limelight all the time, but as long as I have one philosophy in my life and I actually Dan I call it the home court advantage and the home court advantage means that uh, the most successful people that I know have it together both at home and they're way more successful at business if if home is good and Mm -hmm. you know I know we both have children I know I mean 
for me and for everybody, when I, our last closing event, when I, when I, when we graduated at Harvard, we were with all these CEOs, we were with everybody. And she asked that same question, Linda Applegate, our professor, a strategic professor. She said, Randy, she said to our whole class, 120, what is most important to you? Why do you do what you do? Do you know what everybody said? Hmm. We do it for our family and for our kids. And wow. I think that, that you know, if you, don't, if, if you don't have success at home, it's hard to really relish and enjoy your business success. And so I think so many people get a little bit of that screwed up and they end up, you know, passing on or they end up, you know, their company dies and, and they lose what's most important. So if I had to, like, leave one last living legacy and one last living talk is, like, do not lose sight of your family in growing business. The reason why you have business is to help grow and support, you know, whether it be children or, you know, a spouse or whoever it may be. That is why, in my, in my philosophy, that is what gets me up and motivates me every single day. How do I get a company and build a company so I can spend more fishing days with my two sons, Jack and Max? You know, how do I spend more time with Dan Clark and maybe hitting a, you know, hitting a, a football game or something like that? For me, it's like, what are you, your business should drive experiences and memories for the things that matter most. And for most people, it is their family. And I yeah. say that because of statistical research not because of some spiritual philosophy or whatever, whether religion, race, whatever, the most important thing in people's lives are their family. So make sure that when you're setting your business goals that you don't forget the most important piece. And, and that's my, that, that, that would be my last thing that I would go to my grave with. That's so profound. But you know what's so interesting, ladies and gentlemen, is that <clears throat> you know that we highlight and 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 honor those on my show who are the same off stage as they are on stage. Let me just read you a little teeny bit before we say goodbye to Randy about his business philosophy in creating a family of workers, a family of fellow entrepreneurs. Randy is a partner of the Bronze Buffalo Club. The Bronze Buffalo Club is an exclusive members only created for top business and world leaders. Now listen to this. Membership is by private invitation only. The kicker is this. The Bronze Buffalo Club is headquartered at the world famous Star Valley Trout Ranch Resort in Star Valley, Wyoming and Teton Springs Resort in Victor, Idaho. So it's not where it's it's not playing golf, it's where you go to play golf. It's not where you do business, it's where you get to go to interact with these individuals in conjunction with the Bronze Buffalo Club. Randy and his partners host the annual Rocky Mountain Economic Summit Series every year in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I've attended it. I wish you would invite me to speak and I buy you a new truck. Let's get it. Randy features many of the world's foremost experts on world and U.S. economies and business. The Rocky Mountain Summit Series is covered live by Bloomberg, CNBC, Reuters, and many others. So as we conclude here, ladies and gentlemen, what Randy proves to the world is exactly what he is known for in our community and around the world. He doesn't just practice what he preaches. He preaches only what he practices. His last lecture is families matter most. We do it for our family. And Randy, you actually create your business relationships based on that same MO. It sounds like that everything 
that you do and all the companies you've created are basically on that family organization mode where you you create a culture of excellence based on family, mutual respect and support, love, communication, all the dynamics that you bring to the table as an amazing father, as an amazing husband. One last word, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Influencers Channel. I would be remiss if I didn't encourage you to go to danclark.com. That's my website. Click on receive free gifts and training. Join my tribe. Why? We become the average of the five people we associate with the most. I guarantee I'm going to have Randy Garn on my show many, many times as a resident expert on entrepreneurialism, on how you become a social entrepreneur because everything you touch turns to gold and you make a difference in every one of our lives. I love you, Randy Garn. I honor you, and uh, I appreciate you so much for being on the show. Any closing words of wisdom? You know what, Dan? It's just it's it's great to be here with you, and and you know this is a hopefully everybody listening here understands what it means to live a life of significance. And let's go create amazing businesses. Let's uh, let's keep this world going stronger all the way around the board. And and I appreciate what you're doing and what you live for. Thanks. This is Dan Clark signing off. Until next week, Influencers Channel on voiceamerica.com. It's available for on-demand podcasts. And I appreciate you so much. Spread the word and let's influence the world to make it so every one of us at the end of every day says, I like me best when I'm with you. I want to see you again. Thanks, Randy. Thanks to my guest, Scott Mitchell. Thanks to my guest, Heather Penny. Until we meet again, have a great week. Thanks for being part of the show. Be sure to join Dan Clark next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time for another edition of The Art of Significance on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Remember, you too can achieve the level beyond success.